And now please turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 57. And we'll be reading to the end of that chapter. So Luke 1, 57, hear the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbours and all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to give our feet into to guide our feet into the way of peace and the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of the public appearance of his public appearance to Israel Well, I uh, saw a video on social media this week, uh, which had been uh, doing the rounds. Uh, It was a video of a teenage girl in America being given a gift for her birthday. I think she must have been about 16 years of age. Now, this video was doing the rounds because, uh, not just because of the nature of the gift uh, that this girl was given, but also because, I think, more so because of her reaction to it. So what was it? Well, the the video showed this young girl standing out the front of her house, her mum filming her with her phone, while uh, she rocked up out the front and she discovered sitting there in the driveway a brand new Tesla electric car. They even had a, uh, a little bow on the windshield and everything. But it wasn't just that. But but that her response to this gift was even more remarkable. I think this is the real reason why uh, this video went viral, because she took a long look at the car and then turned to her mother and said, but I wanted a Mercedes-Benz. 
Now, an extreme example like this, and I don't know if that video is staged, perhaps it was staged, I'm not quite sure, but an extreme example like this, I think tells us that in general, as people, we're, we're not that great at being thankful. Now, I actually had a, a live demonstration of this this afternoon as I was preparing or finishing this sermon. Uh, I've been expecting a package in the mail uh, and I've been waiting for some time for it and I keep checking the tracking to see when it's going to arrive and then this afternoon, a package arrived and it looked like it was going to be the right size of the thing that I was expecting. And so I brought it inside quickly and I, I took it in the kitchen. I got the scissors out and, and I told Carolyn, oh, the package has arrived. And I opened it up and it wasn't the thing I was expecting. And so what happened? Well, I got a, immediately got a minor case of the grumps, even though the thing in the package actually wasn't that bad, even though it wasn't the thing I wanted. I think it, it's, it's safe to say it can be easy to be ungrateful rather than thankful in life. And I think that's particularly noticeable uh, around the time of Christmas like we are now. Uh, even uh, amongst our, our world, our society more generally, uh, Christmas is known as a time of giving. Uh, we shower one another with gifts. We buy each other things. We do uh, secret Santas. We, we put on nice meals for others. And yet in the midst of it all, it can be possible to be spend all our time focusing on the things that we don't get or the things we don't have rather than the things we have gotten, the things we do get. And yet despite all that, despite maybe our struggles with being thankful, I think we can all agree that being thankful as a person is a good thing. It's a good thing to be a thankful person. So with that being the case, how can we go from being not thankful to thankful? What will it take to transform us to people who are naturally thankful? Well, I think as we look at uh, tonight, as the song uh, that we just had read, as we look at that, uh, we'll find out how. Now, this song, uh, we're in the middle of a series of songs. So we had one this morning and one tonight and two again next week. Uh, we're looking at particular passages in the Christmas story to look at those. Uh, the song for tonight is a song spoken by the Israelite priest, Zechariah, as we just saw read. Uh, now, this uh, particular gentleman has just been informed that his wife, who's advanced in years, is, she's old, she's barren, has now just given birth to a baby boy. Now, that's got to be something to be thankful for, right? But even more incredibly, well, he was told months earlier that this was going to happen. He was given months warning that his, he and his wife were going to have a son. And he was told that by an angel of God, no less. And he didn't believe it. But now, as we read tonight, having seen that the promise has come true, well, out bursts this song of thanksgiving from him. One that's powered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is a, a song spoken by Zechariah, but which ultimately comes to us from God. And this song, as we'll see tonight, is in two parts. The first part from verse uh, 68 to 75 uh, shows us that indeed this is a song of thanksgiving. And we know that's the case because right from the start, it begins with the word blessed or blessed, which uh, is just another way for saying give thanks. Okay, so this is a song of thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for what he has done. And what is it that he's done? Well, it's there in verse 69. He, said, he says, for he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. 
Uh, in other words, he's raised up a mighty saviour. Now, uh, when you think about an animal like a bull, uh, which in the day that this was written would have been an animal that was well known, uh, quite common, when you think about an animal like a bull, will you know that the point of, of a bull's strength is the tip of its horns? Right? If, a, if a bull's watching out for you, you don't have to watch out for its flank so much. You have to watch out for its horns. That's where the full focus of its might will be deployed. And so uh, by saying he's raising up a, a horn of salvation, what God's doing is saying he's brought, bringing to bear the full focus of his power and might through a saviour. This is how his power is going to be deployed. And so it raises the question, well, then, if that's the case, who is this mighty saviour? And, well, Zechariah continues in verse 69. He says, it's a saviour in the house of his servant David. Now, if this was just some random guy that Zechariah was suddenly talking about, a guy who appears out of nowhere, well, there'd be lots of questions to ask and lots of uncertainties about who exactly this person was. But the fact that he mentions David's house means that this saviour is connected directly to long-ago covenant promises that God himself had made, promises of a king who would sit forever on King David's throne. And, of course, we know that. We read the passage earlier, isn't it? It's 2 Samuel 7. So who is this figure? Well, he's known as the Messiah, not the Old Testament word for king. He's God's forever king. That's who God's power is going to be displayed through. Again, we've got to ask the question, why is this Messiah necessary? Why is, why is it necessary for someone to come in the first place? Well, because when God visits, as Zachariah is saying here, is going to happen, right? God's going to come. But when God comes, there are only ever two potential outcomes possible. One of those is salvation, and the other is judgment. See, it's never the case that when God uh, brings, uh, that that with a God, it's either salvation or nothing. Like I can choose to receive salvation from God, or I can just choose to live my life without God and expect everything to go fine. No, it's, it's always either salvation or judgment. And that's, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that those things are realities because if there was no judgment, there'd be no justice. If there was no salvation, there'd be no hope. That's why, in fact, later in the song, in verse 79, the world is described as those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Right? Darkness being the symbol of God's judgment throughout the Bible. And so all this is to say that the Messiah had to come, the Messiah must come in order to save people from God's righteous judgment. Now that judgment, Zechariah says, will come in the form of enemies, that those who hate us, according to uh, verse 71. It's from their hands that they will be saved by God. Now, of course, as Zechariah says this, understanding the context uh, helps us understanding the historical context. 
helps us to understand the sort of thing that he probably means. Okay, when he says God's going to save us from the hand of our enemies, he's, he's really probably thinking about the Roman oppressors who were there in that day. Okay, Israel was under the thumb of the Romans. And so to be saved from the hand of our enemies likely meant to be saved from those uh, harsh Roman overlords. Okay, so that's why this song is a song of thanksgiving, because God has provided salvation for his people through this mighty saviour, this Messiah, a baby who at this point is not even yet born. But that's not all. There's more to the reason, there's more reasons why that this is a song of thanksgiving. There's another reason to thank God, according to Zechariah. And that is because God has kept his word about all of these promises uh, right from day one, despite all the darkness and wickedness of all people that's happened in the meantime. Now, the middle of Zechariah's song, I think, conveys this most strongly in clear detail there in verse 72 and 73. He speaks about God's desire to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Now, what's the, what's the longest promise that you've ever kept? I suspect for most of us that the longest promise that we'll ever keep is the promise that you make to a spouse on your wedding day. They're intended to be lifelong promises, aren't they? So maybe if you're doing well, you'll get 50 years to uphold that promise, maybe 60, maybe 70 years. Now, you're doing really well if you're able to keep your word to someone for that long, aren't you? Well, try this. At the time that Zachariah would have said this, at the time, this point between the time of Abraham and the time of Jesus, we're talking probably a distance of around 2,000 years. 2,000 years between when the promise was made and when the promise was fulfilled. And yet here's God delivering on that promise. How is it possible that he can keep his word for such a long time, despite uh, all of uh, sinful humanity's desire to, to break that promise? Well, it's because this isn't just an ordinary promise that we're reading about. No, he said it. He said the key word, I think. The key word there is covenant. This isn't an ordinary promise, but a covenant with God. And this covenant promise is unique because it's based not just on what God can do. It's not just based on his power, but it's based on his character. In other words, it's based on who he is. And because God is a God of love, a God of justice of compassion of mercy and particularly because he is a god of faithfulness see faithfulness to god is like blue is to the sky it's just who he is it's just what he's like and so that means you can count on this promise doesn't matter how long how much time might have elapsed even 2000 years isn't enough to prevent god from upholding his covenant to his people. And so the the basis really of this first half of the song relies entirely upon what God has promised to do. It started with a, a give thanks to God, with a call to blessing. Why? Well, because 
He has raised up a mighty saviour for his people, one who was promised long ago, and, and he's been faithful to keep that promise despite everything that's happened in the meantime. In other words, Zechariah is saying, give thanks to God because he is faithful to keep his promise. But this song is not just a song of thanksgiving. It's also a song of salvation. This comes uh, to the forefront in verses 76 to 79, or particularly verses 76 to 77, as Zechariah turns his attention to his own son who has just been born. And his son will be uh, something akin uh, to those who are tasked with rolling out the red carpet when visiting royalty arrives. Right? That's what Zachariah's son will do. That's what, what John will do. He'll roll out the red carpet for the coming Messiah, the coming king. He'll prepare for his arrival. And he'll do it not by encouraging people to sign up to a political action committee. Uh, he won't do it by uh, going on about the fate of the nation of Israel. Uh, he won't prepare for the arrival by, by talking about political or earthly realities, as we might have suspected. No, he's going to prepare for this king's arrival by talking about spiritual realities. It's there. Those realities are there. According to verse uh, 77, they are to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. See, for for Zechariah, for God, salvation is not ultimately found in in freedom from an oppressor who lives down the road. That's not what true salvation is, despite how tough that might be as a situation to be in. No, the, the true freedom that God is promising here through the Messiah is the freedom from sin. Freedom from uh, the sin that each one of us is so desperately in need of. Because sin, this uh, rebel, our uh, inherent uh, desire to rebel against God, it's so ingrained in us. We're so entangled in it. Uh, we're so corrupted by it that it means that we stand before God, before a holy and pure God of the universe. We stand before him stained and unworthy of his goodness and mercy to us. Our sin, all, all our wrong and, and wicked thoughts, our, our words, deeds and actions, it's a bit like a debt that we owe. Right? You, you can take out a mortgage with a bank and then realise, oh, I'm not going to be able to pay that back. Now, if you go down to the bank and you ask them really nicely, can you just cancel the debt for me? Well, they're not going to do that, are they? You've got a contract with them, they're going to force you to pay it back. They're going to make you do it. And the sin that stains us, well, that's a little like a debt that must be repaid to God, usually by way not just of our death, but of our eternal death and separation from God. Remember, verse 79, we are described as those who live in the shadow of death. That's the natural outcome for us if we continue to reject God. But the, the beautiful news of this song, the reason why this is a song to be thankful for, is because it doesn't have to be that way. Forgiveness, uh, the free cancellation of our debt, in other words, forgiveness is possible. That's what we're being told. That's what Zachariah is singing about as he mentions the role that his son will carry out. 
that he will prepare the way for this Messiah, this king, by calling people to seek forgiveness from God. That forgiveness which will be in time provided by the Messiah himself. And that forgiveness is still on offer for us today. And so well, that leads us to ask then, so, so what are we meant to do with this song? What are we meant to take home from it today? Well, this, this song of thanksgiving, this song of salvation, uh, spoken 2,000 years ago, what does it have to say in, in 2023? Well, I think two things stand out for us as we seek to bring things to a conclusion. Well, first, this uh, Christmas song uh, is there to remind us of our state. It's there to remind us of our state. Now, I refer particularly to verse 71 here. Okay, it says this, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, as we said, that the, it's spiritual realities that are in focus here. And those same spiritual realities are still evident now, despite uh, the distance of time that's passed between Zechariah and between us. But that also means that we still have something to be thankful for today as Christians, if we're following Jesus. Because this promise that God made here to save his people through a mighty saviour, well, that promise we know came true through Jesus. That's, of course, what Christmas is all about. That's what we celebrate each year. The news of the Saviour coming to rescue his people. And so that in turn means the debt that each one of us owes to God, that debt through Christ is forgiven. And that means we don't have to worry about falling into the hands of our enemy, the devil. He may roam around like a roaring lion, but because of Christ, his mouth has been shut. He may sit as an accuser in the, the heavenly uh, court, as the, the prosecutor in the cosmic case against our sin. But because Jesus provides forgiveness by faith, his accusations fall flat. Again, that means as a follower of Jesus, my state is now this. It's forgiven sinner. That's what my state is before God. My, my record is expunged. It's as if I, I've never rebelled against God at all. That's what it's like to place my trust in Jesus, to know what he's done. So if we go back to the, the bank illustration, the bank loan for a moment, if after wrestling with the fact that you have this huge debt that you have to pay that you just can't pay yourself, right? if they're spending all this time fretting and worrying about that, and then you wake up one morning to discover a wealthy benefactor has paid off the loan for you in one hit. What would you do? What would you do if you found that out to be true? To know that that debt was no longer hanging over your head. It's no longer to know that the bank would no longer come calling. Well, I suspect like your, your most baseline response to something like that happening would be, thank you. Someone has just come and freed you from a massive debt. What an incredible gift. How could you not shower that person with thanks and praise? And just, and that being the case, how much more uh, do we have to thank God for? And not only has he rescued us, but he has rescued us from the hand of our true enemy, our sin and death and the devil. That's 
That's reality for us now as Christians. And the second thing I think to take away uh, tonight from this song is we can come away from this song knowing that it's uh, not just that we are saved, not just that our new state before God, but it's that we've been saved for a purpose. That purpose, according to verse uh, 74 and 75, is that we might serve God. See, if, if we were saved by God only to then go on to live in rebellion uh, against him from that point on, that wouldn't make sense, would it? It would be like saving a person uh, from the front of it, in front, being in front of a moving train only for them to hop straight back on the tracks afterwards. No, instead, God saves us from our sin, not that so we go back into sin, but that so we might go on to, as verse 74 puts it, on to serve him without fear. That is, we are saved to serve. We're saved to then serve God without fear of judgment. Now, my wife and I have uh, three small girls at home, which many of you will know. And I'll be honest, as they get older, I'm kind of looking forward to the day when maybe they're uh, willing to or interested to go play a sport, particularly hopefully some basketball at some point down the track. I'd love that. It'd be a proud dad moment. Now, imagine for a moment yourself, imagine uh, a scene with two opposing kids' basketball teams uh, vying off in a grand final. Okay, it's midway through the game. It's close. Uh, the coach calls a timeout, or one of the coaches calls a timeout. His team, he gets all these kids together for a pep talk, and he says, if you don't get this right, you're all off the team. And the other coach, having his uh, timeout, says to his team, look, if you make a mistake, it's all right. It's okay. Keep going. I'm here to support you all the way. Now, which of which the kids in those teams do you think will be better? Surely the second team, right? Surely that team. That's the team I'd want to be on. Isn't that the same sort of thing that God does for us if we're followers of Jesus? He saves us so that we have the freedom to serve him without fear. And in the ups and downs of life, in the midst of difficulties, and we do face many difficulties if we're following Jesus. In the midst of all that, as we continue to struggle with our own sin, well, God says to us, if you make a mistake, it's okay. Keep going. I'm here to support you all the way. Now, that's what it means to have freedom to serve God without fear. And that's what we have if we're trusting in Jesus, if we've been saved by him. We don't need to fear God's judgment because in Christ... We have his love. And serving in response to love rather than in response to judgment, well, that makes all the difference in the world. So let me ask, is that how you're feeling about your relationship with God as uh, we enter this Christmas period? As we draw near to the end of the year, are you seeing it as a chance as you seeing 2024 as a chance to continue serving the God who loves you, serving him in holiness uh, as, a, as part of his special family and serving him in righteousness by following his commands. Well, that's what we have the freedom to do 
because of what Christ the Messiah has done for us. Because we've been saved, we are able to serve. Well, I hope you've seen tonight, as we've done a brief walk through this song, I hope you've seen tonight that the the Christmas story reminds us just how much we have to be thankful for. We can be thankful to God as Christians because of the innumerable amount of things that he has done for us through Jesus. So if we then want to be people who are thankful, uh, people who are thankful around Christmas time, despite what might be going on in our lives, but despite what might be happening even here in our church, I think that means looking beyond ourselves, doesn't it? It means looking to the God who wrote this song and who spoke it to us through Zechariah, the God who loves us, the God who has saved us, and the God who has sets us free to serve him without fear. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks to you. We bless your name for all that you have done for us in Jesus. Help us not to take this lightly or all that you have done. Help us to be people who respond in thanks, who are regularly being reminded of your goodness and your grace and mercy to us. Thank you that you are a tender towards us, that you do show us mercy, though we don't deserve it. Help us to have thankful hearts as we approach the Christmas season, as we reflect on the story of Christmas. Help us to remember what you have done and seek to respond rightly by trusting Christ and seeking to serve him in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.